Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and in this episode we're talking Interceptor plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Oh boy, are we going to talk about this film, Tim? <laughs> I'm very excited. Well, in Interceptor, ostracized Army Captain JJ Collins finds herself in charge of a remote missile interceptor station while it's under a coordinated attack and must use her years of tactical training and military expertise to save the United States from total annihilation. Interceptor is directed by thriller author Matthew Riley in his directorial feature film debut. Very interesting. Yeah, from a screenplay by Riley and Stuart Beatty of Pirates of the Caribbean franchise fame and Collateral. Which is one of our favourite Tom Cruise movies ever. So Interceptor stars Elsa Pataki, Luke Bracey, Mayan Mehta, Aaron Glenane and Colin Reels. Now, I guess for me, mm-hmm. Lee, the first question I need to ask is how aware were the filmmakers that they were making a B-grade action flick? Because all the elements were there for me, you know, the terrible dialogue, right. the flimsy plot, lacklustre effects. What do you think? Did they go, did Matthew Riley in his directorial debut go to Netflix and say, hey, I want to make a pretty crappy B-grade action flick. You on? (laughs) Straight in for the kill, Tim. Straight to the jugular. Well, I'm just curious. What do you think? So you think it was maybe an intentional nod to those nostalgic flicks? I reckon. And a bit of a tongue-in-cheek play on them? I don't think so. Right. I think it was a little too earnest in its delivery to to be. Yeah you know, a bit cheeky. Mm-hmm. The story, as you mentioned, leans heavily on those kind of thriller tropes from the 90s. Totally. The military action films like Under Siege and, and, and the likes of that. JJ is sexually harassed by her superiors. Mm. Very this man's army, 
you know, like <laughs> it, I felt that it was written by a man, especially in those scenes, you know, little little greys of the buttocks and Oh, it was pretty painful it to watch from painful. that lens. Yeah. <laughs> the the male gaze. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew R- Riley is a really successful author. Yeah. Okay. He has tons of books out. He's been trying to get Hollywood to adapt one of his books for years. As I said, he's a best-selling author. He's had many stories optioned, but it's never eventuated. Mm. I guess that's not a surprise to you, judging by how you began this episode. <laughs> not at all. And this one was actually made for uh, only Australian $21 million. So it's wow. low budget. It is low budget. Yes. I think, look, I'm going to take the other side of the fence for a second, okay. play a bit of devil's advocate. I think it's amazing that we got an Australian-made action flick of this magnitude, okay? Did they have to make it US-based, though? You know, did it have to be American accents with Russian bad guys? It's so done. So done. It was very formulaic. Like I opened with, you know, very cliched and everything. Yeah. Why did they have to be Russian bad guys? Why, yeah. Like you said, why did they have to be American? But they tried to justify a different voice. Obviously, Elsa is a Spanish. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this justification. Sorry to jump in. Yeah, yeah go on. Oh, did you have anything to say on the justification? Well, it was very cheesy. Like so the dialogue cheesy. in this is terrible. And the exposition yeah. to explain why Elsa Pataki is Spanish, yeah. because she is, uh, was, I heard you <laughs> spent some time in Spain. Yeah, to set up such unnecessary context to the fact that JJ had an accent while everyone else around her mm. was American. And you know what? Good on her for keeping her own accent. Totally. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure she could have pulled off an American one. 100%. Did she do that in Fast and Furious or was she... I actually don't recall her being in the Fast and Furious franchise. She's in like three of the movies though. Yeah, number six comes to mind. Right. Yeah. She mustn't have had much to do then. I don't know. <laughs> I think she could have She could have delivered a pretty convincing accent, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. You know, it doesn't matter if a film leans on the tropes of this genre, mm. okay, so long as it pulls them off well. And I do think they've phoned it in here. Can I talk a little bit more about the dialogue? Because I, mm. I wrote a few things down while we're on that topic. Yeah. So much was like palm, hand on face, palm, <laughs> whatever, whatever the friggin' expression is. Are you is. trying to say face palm? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're always filling the <laughs> void of my inability to get an expression out. Yeah. Uh, there was this line of dialogue and I have no idea why they said it. Okay. The bad guy, he goes, I was trained for this. Find your enemy's weak spot and exploit it. You know, everything about this movie and the intention behind it was just mansplained to the point of nauseam. Do you know what? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's what it comes down to. It was was mansplained. Yeah. And did you believe the intention behind the bad guy here? No. I was just so confused and bored and again – Done and dusted, just same, same. We've yeah. seen this over and over again. It yeah. was not exciting. There were no yeah. stakes. It was just odd. You know, there are some funny, quippy one-liners in here, which is a trope of the action genre yeah. these days. Although like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger or mm, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think that audiences expect more these days. Mm-hmm. You know what? You can't just get away with doing that all throughout the film. There was one in particular that I just rolled my eyes at where um, the bad guy says something like, I've been planning for this for years or (laughs) something like that. And then JJ comes in with, you didn't plan for me. (laughs) Yes. Fuck. I I think she said that more than once as well. Maybe. It was like 
oh, have we used this line already? Oh, no, let's just throw it in again at the, at the back end. And there's another one where Shah, played by Mayan Meta, whips off his glasses like Superman oh my and God. goes, I'll do it. Yeah, but – So dramatic. But can he then now not see because he <laughs> took his glasses off? That's a note I wrote down. But can he see? How can, <laughs> how can you do it if you can't how see? How can you do it? You're bloody blind, mate. <laughs> you wear glasses for a reason. It was so dramatic. Um, it was like now he was Superman. You know, Clark Kent is yeah. now Superman. Yeah, it was. Oh, like the, okay, look, I think we've established that the um, <laughs> the dialogue in this film is not great. Look, okay, can I ask you mm. a question? Have you read any of Matthew Riley's novels? I have not. Okay. I do want to, though. Yeah, I feel like back in high school, my English teacher encouraged me to read one uh, Mrs. Ford, shout out, Pfft, I don't know. Uh, but I don't really remember it. But I'm wondering though, this is obviously his first screenplay. Mm-hmm. Stuart Beatty is a celebrated screenwriter. How did they churn out such a terrible script? You have an author mm. and a celebrated screenwriter. It was very bizarre for me to yeah. sit watching this movie to get such a terrible plot and dialogue thrown at me. And there's not a lot of nuance in it either. I mean, no. there's a big twist at the end and they reveal it. They literally spell it out for you before it happens and then all the characters are all shocked and surprised and you're like, yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we saw that coming. It took all the power out of what was coming. I didn't get the end. <laughs> you didn't understand it. No, I didn't understand it. Have I? Did I? Well, they obviously didn't explain it enough for you Maybe then. I just tuned off from all the friggin' mansplaining yeah. in this movie. It, it was very bizarre, the ending. Mm. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> the wink had me. Oh, right. Yeah, boy, the wink. Oh, the wink. There's winking. Anyway, lols. Let's talk about the production values. Okay, Scepter okay. Simon. So most of the film takes place on this interceptor station in the middle of the Pacific Ocean mm. with the help of CGI, obviously. Yes. The interiors of the station were shot inside the old ABC studios. Really? Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's pretty cool that we get a local film of this scope. You know, I, I enjoyed that. Mm. I was gunning for it. Yeah, that's good. Look, can I comment on the production design? Mm. I felt like we were stuck in the control centre for far too long. That's the point, though, I think. <sighs> with these kind of films, I mean, I referenced Under Siege earlier. Yep. Under Siege with Steven Seagal is set in a submarine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nowhere to go in <laughs> a submarine. Okay, can I build on that, though? Mm, because okay. I, I felt that this story, the plot, because they didn't really move anywhere. It was very, very stagnant. Mm. Like almost 80% of the film takes place in that goddamn control room. Yeah. And they could have explored like the nooks and crannies of the station and built some tension and drama there. Mm. And all of that was ignored. And I found that really a shame. I found that a shame. But there's a hole in the floor that people materialise out of every How? now and then. They're levitating up from the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like Wanda just like floating up. <laughs> yeah. Look, it, People randomly just appear from the hole in the floor and you think like watch the hole in the floor. There's a giant hole in the floor that people keep coming out of. Maybe pay attention to that. I'm so clumsy. I would have fallen down that <laughs> yes. hole in the first five minutes. Now, can I build on that? Because there were so many consistencies in the blocking and you you know, listener and you, Lee, certainly yes. my lust for hating unaware spatial awareness yeah. in films. You know, there was this live feed, this live video camera feed that he was talking to all mm. of America and Times Square and all this bizarre shit. And there was a point in the movie where he angled the camera up to a screen. But then later on, it's now looking at the whole control room and everyone's 
cheering or commenting. It's like, who moved the camera and when? <laughs> it was like they forgot where the camera was pointing. Characters would show up on like the roof and right. then and then five minutes later they would come out of a section of the control room that made no sense as to how they got there or why they were in that position. Right. I was constantly lost in this movie as to where people were coming and going from. <laughs> Holes in the floor, like you said. Yeah. I was just going dizzy. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the hell is going on? There's also overpoweringly, overly sentimental music played over like these beautiful moments that mm. are supposed to be very moving. It's super patriotic. It's like very patriotic and overly American, which I found weird for an Australian film. I'm excited that we have an Australian action film of this scope and they set it in America and it's just an overly patriotic tribute to American film. Yeah. I found that quite disappointing. Yeah, I agree. You know, I didn't realize this is all filmed in Australia. So you've shed a new light on mm. the, on this film for me and the whole American patriotism, whatever, just going back on the dialogue there, mm. it's, uh, because we throw to the uh, control, uh, what the disaster room or whatever with the with mm. Madam President. What do they call that? Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. situation room. Situation room. That's it. And there was a line of dialogue. It's like half the room think you're crazy, the other half think you're a rock star. Oh, and then God. Madam President says, "Lucky I'm the ladder. Do what you have to do, Captain." <laughs> and I was like, God. <laughs> Did you actually have a physical response to that line? I may have vomited in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I just had to swallow it down. <laughs> oh. Now, the kills were very graphic here. Yes. And I think they, they didn't shy away from that at all. And for me, it was probably the most exciting thing about the movie, decapitating heads, mm. you know, guns being shoved into eye sockets and yep. things like that. You yeah. Know, that, that was pretty exciting yeah. to see them deliver in this movie. Do you think it does keep you watching for that alone? Yeah, just kind of like those little jolts of excitement I was waiting for. In terms of the story overall, things like that and the action and the pace of it kept me watching. I wanted to know what was going to happen next and how JJ would get out of it. I was invested. Yeah. Well, can we talk about the character of JJ played by Elsa? What did you think of her performance? I think Pataki turned in a really good performance. You know, cheesy lines aside, it's really hard to deliver lines like that well for anyone. Yeah, she did really well for what she had. Yeah. There's one sequence in particular involving someone she loves being threatened and she really brought the terror and the panic and Mm. was 100% committed and I was really impressed. Yeah, she's so friggin' badass. And yes. I tell you what, she put her body on the line in this movie and I was very convinced that it was her mm. in almost every frame, throwing those punches, taking yes. those punches, getting literally thrown around the room. I mean, she's obviously done a lot of her own stunts in mm. this and they do make sure you know it by mm. showing her doing all these, you know, hard moves against these giant guys. <laughs> there's also a scene where there's, you know, ninja warrior style. She's swinging one-armed across these bars underneath yeah. the station. You know, I would actually love to see a celebrity action hero ninja warrior. Can Channel 9 get on that? Well, actually, funny you say that. We we sometimes get, quote-unquote, celebrities run the course. I think Bo Ryan did it yeah. for, for fun a couple of years ago. Uh, but, yeah, I'll talk to the EP and yeah. get Elsa on the course. I'd love Who to knows? see do you it. Know, do you know, I don't work on Australian Ninja Warrior. I'm going to be so shocked. If she, what if she's on it? And yeah. I don't know. I'd be like, oh, my God, we manifested Elsa on Ninja yeah, Warrior. amazing. <laughs> she trained for four months. Really? For hours a day to prepare. Those and guns, I, man. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, when you're married to Chris Hemsworth, you know, the training yeah. regime would be way up there with some of the best. Speaking of Chris Hemsworth. Oh, Christ. He's a producer on this film. He okay. is, yeah. 
he has a cameo in this film, which we won't say too much about, mm. but mm. it just happened too many times. Too many times. And it went on for too long. And what annoyed me the most was I think it's a real disservice to Pataki. I agree. You know, this, was her, this is her starring vehicle. And yeah. I understand they put Chris Hemsworth in there to maybe draw some people in, give a little laugh, but they kept beating us over the head with this freaking cameo. Like enough. It was it was really distracting and I'm completely on the same page that it took away from Elsa in her starring role. Yeah. Because then all you were thinking about was Chris Hemsworth, this big action star, Thor, mm. whatever, all these huge films that he's doing. And I was disappointed that he was in the movie. I was actually yep. disappointed. And his character was pretty freaking annoying. It was pointless. It was almost like a dumb, fat Thor if you will. Right, yeah, revisiting that whole... <laughs> yeah, revisiting that whole shtick. Yeah. That, that's why I started the episode talking about did they intentionally go on to make a B-grade movie because mm. his character involvement, the fact that he's Chris Hemsworth yeah. and his character in itself, it was very obviously phoned in. Mm. So that's why I'm thinking, did they make a B-grade movie on purpose? Because yeah. I, otherwise I don't know why... He was in there and he was written that way as a character. And he anyway. was in there and he was in there and, and he, was, he in was in there, there and he was in there. And then there's a mid credit scene with him too. Oh, I didn't. I stopped it. <laughs> <laughs> I turned it off. There's a mid credit scene. Oh, you're joking. I'll talk to you about it off Okay, here. very good. Okay, Luke Bracey, mm. Australian star, was not charismatic or intimidating at all as the bad guy. He was so dull as a bad guy. Was he meant to be like a roguish flirt but also menacing? Mm. All I got from it was rich white boy with ambition vibes who wants to prove he's a big man to his daddy. Yeah, I wrote poor rich white boy with daddy issues, basically. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's he, that sums up his character completely. And that's not entirely his fault. Uh, they're trying to force the sexual tension between the leads too, which yeah. was just... This is awkward. It was awkward and ridiculous. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Yeah. You know, I, I wrote a note that all he did, all he seemed to do as the bad guy was stare at her through those glass doors. Mm. Every shot was just him staring at her, <laughs> like through this window. And I was like, are they going to cut away from this guy staring? Like, does he blink? <laughs> does this guy blink? Does he blink? He, he was a really poorly written bad guy. His motives were clunky. Mm. We talked about his rich daddy issues and all the rest of it. And he was trying to convince her that, here, take $30 million. Meanwhile, I'll kill 300 million Americans. Is that cool with you? Yeah. And like, come on. Like, it's, it doesn't make any it sense. Was, it was a weak motivation, definitely. Yeah. I just want to come back to the action again and yeah. Elsa Pataki because yeah. I think that's something to really highlight in this film. You know, we've obviously come down pretty hard on this on this film. But it's easy to watch. It's easily digestible. It's one yeah. of those films that you can just sit there and watch, enjoy the action, enjoy the kill shots, enjoy Elsa Pataki being a badass. Yeah. It's it's watchable for that. A hundred percent. I agree. It's one of like you saw this film with an audience, yeah. right? And the reception was quite visceral, wasn't it? Like mm, it was it a was, bit mixed, yeah. Yeah, a bit mixed. But I mean it it's that sort of film that you watch with a crowd or watch with a couple of friends because it's going to elicit a reaction. You have a bit of fun with it. I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Let's wrap it up. Well, ultimately, Interceptor is a forgettable action romp with the typical cringe camp dialogue and phoned-in performances, other than Elsa, of course. The action was full of fun kills and predictable outcomes, but Elsa Pataki was enjoyable to watch at least. 
The random and unnecessary inclusion of Chris Hemsworth was distracting and pulled focus on the fact that this film was just another silly, pointless Netflix action film we could have all done without. I'm going to rate Interceptor one and a half popcorn kernels. So you can tell Interceptor is a first-time outing for many involved, but it's a commendable effort and a generally entertaining action-packed ride. A cheesy script that straddles piss-take and seriousness and disappointing plot contrivances let down the side in what is a pretty impressive starring vehicle for Elsa Pataki to show what she's capable of. I have really mixed feelings about this one, but I'm going to give it two and a half popcorn kernels out of five. That's fine. Very, very nicely wrapped up. Now, Interceptor is available to stream on Netflix. On Netflix (laughs) in New Zealand. Jeez. (laughs) Well, you're about to go to New Zealand, aren't you? So I'm just vibing that. Uh, Available to stream on Netflix from June 3. All right, Tim, let's jump into the news. Jerry Bruckheimer has confirmed that National Treasure 3 is still happening with a script currently in development. I'm so psyched for this. Woohoo! It's been quite some time between adventures with the first film hitting cinemas in 2004, followed by its sequel in 2007. Of course, this was the film starring Nicolas Cage as a treasure hunter yeah. alongside Diane Kruger and Justin Bartha. Do you like the National Treasure Love series? Love them. I watch them all the time. How good are they? they? They're like The Mummy. Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. You can just yes. put it on and you enjoy it over and over again. They're so rewatchable. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, Brockheimer has said of the project status... Absolutely. I love Nicholas. He's a brilliant actor and we are currently working on a script for National Treasure. We love Nick Cage here on the podcast. So this is just so exciting for us. And he's having quite like a popularity surge at the moment with the unbearable weight of massive talent. Which we love. Ah, so good. So yeah, everyone's hanging for this one. Now, meanwhile, interestingly, it's important to note that there is also a National Treasure TV series in the works for Disney Plus. It stars Catherine Zeta Jones, which I love that piece of casting, who will play a treasure hunter who lives by her own code. And original franchise actor Justin Bartha is reprising his role as comedic sidekick Riley Poole. Love that. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. See, th- this is why this piece of news confused me initially when I stumbled across it, because I thought, no, but they're making a TV series. Yeah. So the clarification from Jerry Bruckheimer that there is a third film in the works. Yeah. I wonder if the TV series and the film will cross over in some way. I don't know. Well, it's got Riley Poole in there. So. Yeah. A national treasure verse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here I for it. I love it. Well, Tim. Oh, bother. <laughs> oh, bother. Oh, bother. This is my favourite oh, thing ever. What has happened to Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> The beloved character and his friends will soon feature in a horror film. Mm. Yes, you heard me right. A (laughs) horror film. How does this happen, you might ask? Well, Winnie the Pooh is owned by Disney, but the stories the franchise is based on have now entered the public domain. So, enter... Blood and Honey is a great title. The horror movie based on A.A. Milne's books where it is believed, get this, that Pooh and Piglet will actually eat Eeyore. That is fucking (laughs) terrifying. I can't wait to see this. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, bother. That's quite good. The premise of the film, according to writer and producer Reese Waterfield, is that Christopher Robin is pulled away from them and he's not given them any food. So it's made Pooh and Piglet's life quite difficult. 
<laughs> They're hungry. Yeah. So Winnie the Pooh and Piglet then embark on a murderous rampage. You, you can't underestimate hanger. My husband gets very <laughs> hangry. Well, he hasn't tried to eat me yet. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Now, we've seen some images from this movie. It's utterly terrifying, it isn't does it? does look terrifying. Yeah. I mean, Piglet's got these big tusks or something. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Piglet, no. <laughs> no. I think it would actually be more terrifying if he didn't look scary and he looked sweet and innocent and yeah. then he just ate Eeyore. I'm so here for this movie. <laughs> Let, can we cover it? Like, I, I feel, yeah, I really want to <laughs> sure. cover it on the pod. Right. So, the live action remake of Pinocchio shared its first trailer this week. Robert Zemeckis is directing this retelling of the beloved tale of a wooden puppet who embarks on a thrilling adventure to become a real boy. A real boy. Now, the Disney Plus original film stars Tom Hanks as Geppetto, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth as Pinocchio, Joseph Gordon Levitt as Pinocchio's conscience. Jiminy Cricket, which is an iconic character, mm. and Cynthia Erivo as the Blue Fairy and Luke Evans as the Coachman. This is an incredible cast. Yeah. And Pinocchio will be available to stream on Disney+. Plus. It's just been announced in September of this year, so it's, it's not going to cinemas. Top Gun Maverick Lee took the number one spot at the Australian box office on its opening weekend with a total four-day box office gross of Australian $13.8 million and... Australian fifteen point one million, including the preview screenings. That's, that's a pretty impressive opening huge, weekend. Huge, huge, huge. So the sequel to the nineteen eighty six iconic original became the widest opening film ever recorded in Australia, with three hundred and forty three locations and twenty five thousand and ninety nine sessions, and it marks the biggest opening weekend for a Tom Cruise film in Australia. And that's ahead of War of the Worlds, which was took in six point six five million, mm. and Mission Impossible two, which took in six point four million in its opening weekend so that's like more than double it took in that's insane crazy not only that but the long awaited return of tom cruise's maverick also ignited the global box office opening number one worldwide and became the highest opening weekend for a tom cruise film ever globally it's not surprising really not surprising i mean the word of mouth of this film was marketing perfection yeah like i've never seen a campaign like it it just mm. worked I can't stop talking about this movie. Mm. People that see it come to me and say how much they loved it and yeah. how surprised they are at what an experience it is. I've seen it twice. Have you seen it twice I've now? seen it twice. I had to take my husband because he was a bit salty that I took you oh, to see it. <laughs> get over it, Ollie. Oh, I'm so jealous you've seen it yeah, twice now. Yeah, and I got goosebumps the second time too. It's it's yeah. amazing. So it, it hooked you in as yeah. much as it did the first time? Guys, make sure you check out our review on the film because it's, yeah. And, and it's also one of our best episodes oh, yeah. in terms of listen. So thank yeah. you so much for those that have listened already. We thank really you. appreciate it. West Side Story breakout star Rachel Ziegler has been cast in the Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Ziegler will play Lucy Gray Baird, the girl tribute from impoverished District 12. In a statement from Nathan Kane, president of Lionsgate Motion Picture Group, that's a mouthful, mm. he shared that, and I quote, when you read Suzanne's book, Lucy Gray's emotional intelligence, physical agility and fiercely powerful, determined singing voice shine through. Rachel embodies all of those skills. She is the perfect choice for our Lucy Gray. So The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is expected in cinemas November 16, 2023 at this stage. I love seeing Rachel Ziegler's rise in Hollywood, the role she's mm -hmm. taking. Obviously, we're waiting for her to be Snow White. Yes. Um, very, very excited for that. 
We got a first look at Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein in his directorial follow-up to A Star Is Born, Maestro. Not much is known about the film other than that it will focus on the relationship between Bernstein and actress Felicia Montalegra, uh, who will be portrayed by Carrie Mulligan. So Bernstein would go on to compose West Side Story and become the youngest ever music director of the New York Philharmonic. The film is expected to be available on Netflix sometime next year. His transformation looks amazing. Mm. It looks so freaking good. I love Bradley Cooper as a director. Mm. He was did such an amazing job with The Star is Born. I'm really looking forward to this Obviously one. Obviously, he's got a type doesn't he (laughs) a directorial type he wants to do music biopics he does and that's good i love to see it well taste savor and relish the first trailer for the menu this week we got a sneak peek at the upcoming film starring ray fines anya taylor joy nicholas holt and john leguizamo the menu follows a couple who travel to a coastal island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises and it will be served up in Australian cinemas from November 24. Oh, this trailer was pretty damn creepy. Yeah. I got so, I got old vibes. Yeah, right. Yeah, hopefully it's not as horrendous as old. <laughs> you really didn't like <laughs> that one. Oh, mate. Hot off an incredible reception at this year's Cannes Film Festival, the Moonage Daydream teaser trailer has been released. From director Brett Morgan, Moonage Daydream features never-before-seen concert footage and promises to be, get this, an immersive cinematic experience, an audio-visual space odyssey that not only illuminates the legacy of David Bowie, but also serves as a guide to living a fulfilling and meaningful life in the 21st century. What on earth are we in for with this movie? Well, I mean, I think that's expected with a David Bowie project. 100%. Um, yeah, it looks, I don't know, part biopic, yeah. part documentary, part creative um, Ex- experimental yeah, project. Experimental. Um, it, it's everything you would expect, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, the trailer certainly dangles all those carrots in front mm. of you. I'm pretty excited to see how it plays yeah, out. you can check out the trailer on our YouTube channel. Definitely go check it out there. And the film has the full support of Bowie's estate as well and features many of his greatest tracks as well as previously unseen concert footage, which always excites yeah. fans. So there is no word on an Australian release date just yet, but keep listening to yeah. Popcorn Podcast. We'll fill you in when we know. We shall let you know. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast, guys. We covered Interceptor, which is streaming on Netflix from June 3. And as always, thank you so very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.